0: We begin, perhaps, by giving a shout out to some friends, some new friends, new comrades, some new comrades oh, indeed. You know, I don't think I've ever used that word, um, in a non-sarcastic, joking yeah. way. I, I really... love the idea of it, but yeah, yeah, yeah I, yeah, I yeah. can't. Isn't it? Yeah, um, it's not like comrades in the Labour Party. Yeah, lots
1: of comradely, rhetorical comradeliness. <laughs> yeah, I think it probably just covers for. Um, yeah. Or whatever the opposite of comrades. Yeah, it? Exactly. All of my That's why. Comrades. I, yeah, I don't know whether it's like a whether it's like a sarcastic term yeah. or whether it's kind of like a veiled term. Yeah, so like it yeah kind totally. Of like, it covers for a hostility. You know? Yeah, exactly. I like. Getting... You can never quite tell. It's not said in a hostile, <laughs> hostile manner. You know? Yeah, like comrades. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If, if people said it like that, they you'd know, right? <laughs> well, comrades. Yeah, I, Comrade whether, yeah I, I think for me it's more. Um, sort of like nostalgically, a totally, bit twee yeah. and quaint. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, mean, I have there's some, there's some. I have some time for twee quaint. So. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, twee. Yeah, interesting. T w e e, twee. Tweak. I suppose so. Hmm. All right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> <Interesting>. <laughs> we've, we've, we've been sidetracked. Um, Our comrades. Yeah. Uh, n- not in a gritted teeth way. If there's anybody still listening from, drumroll, the Cleveland DSA. Um, a long time ago, uh, Dan and I got a comment on our YouTube channel on the first episode that we did, kind of, on a Ralph Miliband reading series um, from someone who's involved with the Cleveland DSA. And if there are any of you still listening, because. It has come to our attention that you all are doing a reading series on this here book, this Miliband book. Um, Shout out to all of you. Great book. Hope you're doing great work. Cleveland, I've heard it's a lovely city. And I'm rooting for you all to change the name of your baseball team to the Spiders. That's about all all I have to say about Cleveland. I would love to have the Cleveland Spiders be bought back. That'd be great. So, yeah, shout out to you. Okay. Very good stuff. Yeah, welcome, welcome. I hope you're still listening. I hope you've made better progress with this book than we have. Yeah. I'm sure you've moved on to other things. <laughs> like think we finished that eight weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right, folks. We're making a return to auxiliary statements, <laughs> patriarch, head of the pantheon <laughs> of intellectual heavyweights.
0: King. King. <laughs> King Ralph Miliband. Yes, we are the good stuff. And, Truly the good, the best of stuff. He's exemplary... <laughs> very short book. <laughs> Marxism and politics. This, we did, so we did an episode on this, the very first Auxaria Statements ever, the introduction, and then I think, what, we've done three episodes since then? Sure, so we'll technically you, four. Yeah. This is technically our fifth episode. This book keeps on giving. <laughs> it just keeps on giving. Um, and it's great. It's so good. You know, before, before we start this, Dan, I would, like, I was thinking about how before, like, you know, before we actually start talking about the books... I was contemplating the stuff that we usually talk about Mm -hmm. and about how it's usually the weather and it's usually our gardens and our broad beans, which I was kind of thinking like, all right, like, I I don't know, we're, we're, we're both young gentlemen still. That is perhaps a little old fashioned of us to be talking about our gardens and about Uh the weather. Uh So I thought I'd relate an experience that I had today, which was frustration with the buses, Dan. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't been on a bus since like COVID started, but I had to get on one today because I was very late for an appointment. Um, And buses are... I don't know if it's just because I've forgotten or because prices have gone up. They're very expensive, Dan. Mm. I had to get on like a five-minute bus ride and it was almost like two and a half pounds. It was just like, Jesus. Yeah, Fix that.
1: Yeah, the bus system in this country is a bit of a nightmare. (laughs) Um, Largely because it's privatized. Mm. And um, thus, if you live in an area where there's lots of sort of rural routes... Mm. um, Anyway, rural areas tend not to be well served. Sure. Or at least, uh, when I say rural, I just mean anything that's not metropolitan. (laughs) Mm -hmm. We obviously don't live in a a rural setting, but like it's quite a rural county, and yeah, yeah, it's a nightmare for anybody who anybody who doesn't live in London, Mm. um, and isn't accustomed to having a city-run bus service with a with a with a standard rate fare. Then buses coming every five minutes. But yeah, buses <laughs> coming that come on time. Yeah. Um whose whose anticipated arrival is announced by the bus um Person? shelter. <laughs> um you will not know. Yeah, the the trouble. Yeah, the tr- yeah. the troubles. I I mean I I just don't I don't use buses. I also um I I dislike buses also <laughs> I th- I th- I think largely because they remind me of the the mundane mm-hmm. the 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 trip to school oh okay the trip sure to the the shops mm. kind of thing I think I think perhaps um <laughs> my distaste is is buses placed in in um con- contradistinction to trains Oh, okay, if I sure. can take a train, I will <laughs> automatically choose a train cha- train over a bus.
0: Imagine if I took the train up the hill. <laughs> Stop <laughs> off. <laughs>
1: because trains take you exciting places. Yeah, you go on your holidays on train. Well, sometimes. Yeah, yeah, um yeah, yeah. Buses take you to school and work. It's a good point. Trains go go to interesting places and do interesting things. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I'm a, I do have a site sort of like. So I suppose, like, a, probably quite a pompous class sort of, like, prejudice against buses and toward trains. Like, whatever.
0: I mean, trains are the better form of transportation. Yeah. That's, that's, that makes sense. Um, although I know what you're saying, but since I never really took the bus other than to school back home, because bus is not the best system, um, I only took the train, I don't know, like, maybe 10 times, something like that growing up. Uh, nah that's not true, more than that um, But not a lot, it wasn't a regular thing um, Here, buses kind of remind me of exciting things cause You can take it to the sea mm. Haven't really had access to a car since I've been here um, But yeah, mainly it is just like End to appointments and stuff And trains are like, oh my god, I'm going somewhere cool Look at that uh, Anyway, buses, love the concept um, Too expensive yes. Buses, too expensive yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Um, A vital service
0: Oh, absolutely For people mm. I love not, the fact that they're all double decker too. Me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Very surreal doing something that I haven't done because of COVID again. Uh-huh. It was just very surreal. The only other people on the bus were like two old people. It's very very strange. Yeah, but
1: uh, yeah, buses like it, particularly in the middle of the day seem to be mm. sort of the 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 the, the favorite haunt of <laughs> the uh, the uh, the, elderly. the retiree. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm. Septicinerians and above. Yeah. Um, Only my (laughs) answer. Playing their music very quietly at the back. (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. Um, But anyway, Um, love a good bus, or bus comrades, driving the buses. Well done driving those buses. I don't know. That's not something I could do. Seems crazy grabbing a bus, especially here, it just seems nuts. Nuts. The road's very tiny. A lot of cars, people. I'd wind up hitting something. Yeah, Amediate. I watched like... one driving past when it was snowing going icy as well. Yeah, it? I know. I like, just I can't <laughs> believe like it's terrifying, <laughs> terrifying to watch. Crazy, yeah. Ice is gone. No more snow. We're back to our usual <laughs> wet, rain, <laughs> wind. Back to wet. <laughs> back to wet and wind. Um, so that's good. That's the update about the weather. Um, my beans. I literally thought that they were all going to be dead. Went back post snow. All alive and doing great. Hooray. What a phenomenally uh, rugged bean. I'm very surprised. Covered with like a foot of snow for like several days. All survived. Well done, beans. Um, all right. Check, check, check. Beans, weather, comrades, Cleveland, the spiders. Uh, buses. It's <laughs> Checked it all off the list. Um so yeah, Marxism and <laughs> politics. <laughs> Not a lot of bus talk in here, which I was a little upset about. Um, but a lot of class and party talk. Mm. So here we go. Dan and I read chapter. Bear with me. I forget. Twenty-four. Chapter five. Five. <laughs> God damn it, Dan. Um, chapter five: class I mean, and party. As we've come before, the introduction is misleadingly yeah. entitled Chapter One. But... <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, middleman, get who, it together. Who is right? Who can say? Who can say? <laughs> um, this chapter, Dan and I both agreed, absolute banger. This one was great. Um, and yes, I mean, as you can tell by the title, it is all about how class relates to a party. He frames it at the beginning by basically being like, all right, so we've talked about how organized the ruling class is and how they're keeping uh, the little man down, so to speak. Um I'll just quote him, how then are these ruling classes to be undone and how is a new social order to be established? And he frames that with a discussion of the party Um, because he kind of comes right out and just says, there's been kind of like a fake uh, argument in Marxist thought that is kind of like spontaneity or a class. And he kind of comes right out and says, nobody's ever actually been in favor of pure spontaneity. It's never really been a thing. So the rest of the chapter is just like, how does the party function basically?
1: I think there are some people who fall on the side of pure spontaneity, but um, mm. but the less said about them <laughs> in this context. No, 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 <laughs> no, no, no. no, no, no. Um, but the for the yeah for the most part, truism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As you say, like he is. Um, yeah, he's posing the question as as we all mm. want to pose. As he's posing all, way, all the way through the book, particularly as this is a book on like Marxism and politics. Like, yeah. <laughs> what would a Marxist politics be, and how is it to be executed? Yeah. Um, and its primary aspiration is to. Um, change one established social order for another new established yeah. social order yeah. um, and he makes brief reference to the idea that um, social change may well come about at least partially as a result of like the deepening contradictions of capitalism mm. Mm. Um, but is very keen to quickly reorient us toward fixating more on the um the sort of the the portion of that of the 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 process of social change which is dependent Mm. on sort of conscious class action yeah uh conscious action of the working class to Mm. change um the world
0: yeah yeah absolutely
1: (laughs) Um, and he sort of like translates the idea of uh, class action into the idea of um, class organization. How is an org- how is the class to organize mm. itself toward the end of mm. um, social change? Yeah. Um, and this, basically, this chapter, as is this entire book, really <laughs> is him wrestling with a whole series of questions. Which he, well, which not just he, but like which the sort of the Marxist movement, I suppose, has, or the socialist communist movement, I suppose, has historically come up with various solutions to. Um, but he seems to think none of them particularly satisfactory. Sure. So, yeah, as with every other chapter, he sort of poses all the problems and gives us another the solutions yeah. and leaves us hanging. Yeah. I was just thinking it'd be much easier to be a
0: Stalinist, probably. <laughs> to be like, okay. Interesting. I, I, I came out of this a Maoist. <laughs> <laughs> um, Full deference to the party. You know? yeah, exactly. And a
1: great leader. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Um, It's good, though. This ties in very well with our last episode about um, the German Social Democrats, doesn't it? Because he frames the beginning of it as like this dichotomy, which is a little bit of a false dichotomy, at least in kind of like the public consciousness of the question about like between Rosa Luxemburg's view of the party and Lenin's view of the party. Famous because like they corresponded about this a lot. Um, Also famous because, you know, the Bolsheviks got power. And we see that Rosa Luxemburg and the Spartacus League, and you know, they did not. Um, but it's interesting because he kind of gets into that question of, like, you'll he- I feel like you'll hear a lot of leftists erroneously say that Rosa Luxemburg was just in favor of spontaneity, which he very clearly, like, very quickly throws out as being, like, not the case at all. She understood that, like, there needs to be organization, there needs to be stuff like that. But I was really taken with her quote in this, which was something along the lines of um, the Spartacus League, which was like the split from the uh, mainstream social democrats, um, isn't just going to take power. We're not just going to organize to be like a Vanguard party and take power, because that would like stifle the, I think she said, like the creativity and the militancy that is natural to the working class. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Miliband basically says by the time that they realized that they needed to organize on their own, because the Social Democrats were going a different route, uh, it was too late.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it was a really fascinating section where um, you get a version of a story that you don't often get, really, or I um, haven't been exposed to very often, which is like, not that... Um, how wise, ri- how wise Rosa Luxemburg and Karl Liebknecht were in advising caution. Yeah, but rather, perhaps their unwillingness to, um, to act as sort of like a minority party mm. um, was was obviously their undoing, but also um, the sort of undoing of the German Revolution or the undoing yeah. of like um a progressive working class movement
0: yeah it's funny i struggled with this because i wanted to have an opinion coming out of this <laughs> of like god damn it no they should have organized as their own party beforehand but I, I don't it's impossible to say right because it's impossible to say what the outcome of a early split with the social democrats would have led to because it's like y- you know coulda woulda shoulda hindsight bias none of them knew what was going to happen um and you know you want to kind of come down on Karl Liebknecht and Rosa Luxemburg more for not organizing like a specifically communist party before it all kind of went to hell. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's like again that's hindsight bias because who's to say that like the big Ten kind of idea wouldn't have worked in Germany? It would be well, I mean, you know, it would have been hard to say that in the um, as history was being made, so to speak. You know,
1: mm-hmm. so yeah, he makes two quite interesting um, commentaries or interventions on. Um... I suppose, on uh, German history and um, mm. particularly the history that we covered last week, the, sort of the, the early part of the 20th century. One, as you say, is this sort of questioning of um, Luxembourg's uh, position on um, whether or not to be um, sort of like take take action uh, with a sort of minoritarian mandate kind of thing. Mm. And the other one is quite interesting is to question whether... Um, I mean, it's one of those instances of words where he sort of like he gives pros and cons of both positions, and then comes away being <laughs> yeah. like um, everything's problematic, and clearly in history <laughs> nothing has worked yet, so um, I can't tell you what to do. Yeah, um, but it's interesting. He sort of suggests that in a section when he's talking about um, party unity mm. or the sort of like um, how the political party is to best represent the various. Um, positions of the working class which as we saw from chapter two and is sort of reiterated here the working class is clearly not like a homogenous group yeah. it has lots of different interests um clearly those different interests are going to be represented either within one party or um between multiple different parties kind of thing um, but he's talking about the idea of class no of party unity rather mm. um and basically suggests that the german democrats german social democrats becomes became so monolithic um that and and sort of like became the the only gaming town in terms mm. of like parties that represented the working class that there was very little opportunity for sort of diversity of opinion mm. well the the, the diversity well, no rather the opposite the diversity of the opinion was so thoroughly allowed to exercise itself within the social democrats that there wasn't the split. That probably should have happened much sooner mm. um, and from the standpoint of um, uh, a revolutionary or a communist who would like to have seen a different outcome in the, mm. the aforementioned German revolution from last week um, one might be inclined to posi- take the position and Miliband seems to be taking that position that it would have been far better for there to have been an effective split much sooner Yeah. Um, and for the left to have gone its own way it would have been much better organised perhaps Mm. It might have been able to develop um, more support amongst the working class rather than as did happen, like the split happened very late and the uh, Social Democrats managed to carry a huge amount of support from the working class and from lots of other sections of German society, Mm. um, which allowed it to effectively sort of solidify itself as the new party of constitutional order of the Weimar Republic and crush the the revolutionary workers movement. Yeah. Or the sort of like, independent workers' movement of 1917, 1918,
0: 1919, rather. Yeah, 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 I mean, absolutely. It's it's that question of, like, how do you create a party which has the goal that everybody, like, has to agree with of, like, instituting socialist change while still allowing for that diversity of opinion, you know? And, and also, like, it's still allowing the party itself to be dynamic. Yeah. I mean, we were just saying before we started recording that, like, so much of this smacks of Miliband framing this whole discussion of the party as, like, an organizational one, kind of. Because you get, like... It seems like the subtext, at least to me, was, like, an organizational question. It was, like, how are we explicitly going to organize to uh, complete our goals? You know, because he gives all these examples. He talks about Stalinism. He talks about Lenin. He talks about uh, Maoism as basically just, like, failures, more or less, in terms of, like, organizational uh, theory. And... I really came away with it thinking a lot about the cybernetic stuff. I've got VSM brain right now, Mm -hmm. but like it really seems like he was looking for something like the cybernetics of Stafford Beer. Because he was looking for an organizational structure that was uh, dynamic, one that is able to do its own things at like kind of like the lower levels, but that needs to have like a future planning head that can um, evaluate the, you know, now I'm just definitely getting to the VSM, evaluate the environment and um, respond to, like, the changes that need to happen in the party while still letting people do their own thing as long as they have, like, the greater goal of, like, socialism, right? So it's like you can still kind of do your own thing. You still have autonomy at, like, the lower levels, but everybody needs to be gradually working towards something. And it kind of seemed like he was looking for a way to organize a party, Um that would make that possible you know maybe it's just because we read these things right after the other but i was like he's looking for something like this (laughs) he's looking for something you know how to organize a party
1: i mean certainly um a lot of the the issues here do lend themselves to um the the kind of question you're saying right like how Mm. how easily could you map or what what kind of model would like cybernetics provide for Mm. organizing a socialist or communist party or social democratic party or a party of the working class kind of thing. Mm. um for me a lot more of the the a question that hangs over a lot of this is um how do people whose um politics demands certain things of uh the working class that the working class doesn't seem always able to mm. provide yeah um there is the question of like I mean but it, it comes back to the idea of consciousness right like if you have some idea of abstract idea of what the what the working class's best interests are mm-hmm. um, I, I guess you you, you you either say like the working class is the only p- people best positioned to decide what those interests are forgetting not forgetting of course that like people in the party were all so people in the working class kind of yeah, thing yeah, um, yeah. certainly there are times when you look at sort of at ostensible workers' parties or um, or people in uh, left-wing groups and left-wing left sects and you sort of wonder, like, you, you're clearly all, like, of a sort of... of a, more from an intellectual caste and you kind of wonder what is your relationship to the working class. Yeah. But then there are all these conditions that Miliband is referring to, all these concrete examples from working class history, like um, mm. the party can't be... Seem to be something which is not made up of at least in part of members of the working class mm. um but at, at the same time the, the problem is still like how well can the working class be expected to fulfill this role which it has been given by yeah. um marxist theory mm. um and it uh, and the, the answer doesn't necessarily have to be yes or no right mm. i mean a lot of what is being what what is being um struggled with in this dichotomy between class and party is like um what is the what is the nature of that relationship and um where do the various burdens of various activities lie yeah um, yeah and various people in sort of in socialist history, various actors or various theoreticians have sort of like put the emphasis in different places, right? Like, mm. um, is as you were saying, kind of thing like as as Luxembourg Luxembourg leans toward, like is the is the class the only authority which is responsible for um creative and sort of like I don't want to say spontaneous, but like, <laughs> um yeah, but the source of sort of like. Uh, meaningful advance, mm. sort of like mm. uh, creativity and novelty. The mm. people, the people who will actually create the new social order, kind of thing. Mm. Um, or can the working class only get itself so far without having um, more sort of advanced elements who are fashion themselves into a party who then put themselves in the position to mm-hmm. um, radicalize in various ways. The working class toward a revolutionary consciousness, which they wouldn't otherwise have come to on their own, kind of thing. Yeah. Um.
0: Yeah. I. Don't, I mean. Yeah. Big question. Very big <laughs> yeah, question. I
1: like, uh, like, so, I mean, throughout this, every everybody comes down in a different position, kind of thing. Like, hmm. Um. Uh, I mean, the beginning of this chapter, Miliband takes us through a little rundown of all the different uh, actors and their various positions. Like, um, Marx is presented as somebody who has much more faith in the working class, hmm. um, who will talk of party and organization who isn't completely committed to spontaneity obviously um but um at least thinks like sort of paraphrase the quote of his like the the liberation of the working class is the work of the working class themselves kind of thing Hmm.
0: um well i think i think i like i don't know if i speak for you as well but I've definitely been surprised at like the levels of spontaneity that have popped up throughout our readings Sure, um, certainly with the uh, German revolution I was very it's just like oh the, the councils just happened sure, and I mean yeah. that obviously happened in Russia as well um, 1905 and 1917 um, and I mean yeah I guess the question is right like to what extent does the party steer and guide that and latch on to it in moments of crisis mm. um, without becoming this kind of like Is a word that pops up again and again in this book This, like, catechism of, like, saying what is right and what isn't right and You know, that has its eventual, like, culmination in Stalinism As, like, uh, borderline, like, thought police Basically being, like, you have to adhere to this culture You have to adhere to this art You have to adhere, obviously, to this politics The style of doing everything Um, And it's funny, right? I mean, the different examples we get of people trying to circumvent that um, I really... I uh, am criminally under if that's a word, in, like, the going-ons in communist China. Um, and so the section here where he was talking about Maoism and Mao were awesome in the Chinese Communist Party, I loved the idea of, like, Mao being very concerned that that was what was going to happen with the party, so there was constantly this, like, self-criticism. I was just saying to you, Dan, I always thought that was, like, a bit of a meme of Maoists, but it's like, very funny to see him talking about, like, how it actually took place. Um, but I mean, again, like when he says that, like when there's all this self-criticism in the party, um, the Chinese communist party that like, it didn't attack the problem at its roots. It just kind of like attacked the outcomes of the problem where it was like these damn party leaders, you know, your hair is too long. I don't like the way you're (laughs) running these things. Uh, or uh, whatever their complaints were, um, that it's like getting rid of, you know, regional party leaders isn't attacking the problem of how it's structurally organized or even like how you're maintaining your evolution so again that got me thinking about the vsm again but mm-hmm. funny <laughs> yeah it's was, it was only a
1: few pages that isn't it but it's mm. quite an interesting and enlightening section um obviously a lot of people took the turn toward maoism in the 60s and 70s as a reaction to what it, what was becoming apparent or what was becoming known about the sort of like um the structure of Mm. The, the Stalinist regime, kind of thing. Yeah. There's, well, yeah okay. As you say, the catechismal orthodoxy. Mm. Um, and a lot of people, um, uh, Miliband presents or suggests that people might want to or might have been willing to propose this, sort of, as you describe, kind of structure of Maoist. Uh, ruthless criticism this idea of going to the people frequently this mm. real desire to that well the, what 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 lies behind the idea of the mass line which is like mm. not to let the party ghettoize itself but to be constantly uh in contact with and revivified by the people mm. um a lot of people at the time sort of thought that 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 was the solution to this problem the relationship between class and party and the idea that the cla- the party may come to substitute itself for the class kind of thing mm. particularly as it clearly happened in in Russia right the the party had mm. taken up the mantle of being the only representative of the class yeah um but indeed as you say like there isn't um there isn't in this in in maoism or these maoist tactics any actual attempt to grapple with the structure of the problem which is a base that there is no there's basically no movement to decenter the party in mm. communist china there isn't any movement to like um form or take the um take any other class organizations there's no move to like make the commune the, yeah. the structure of the state kind of thing yeah um but it's interesting I, I mean coming back to what you're saying about spontaneity like there are other organizational forms discussed in this book that aren't just um aren't just a party and one of them is um the council or the soviet sure yeah, yeah. um and it was quite funny um hearing about or reading about how uh when first confronted with these formations in a lot of places there's quite a lot of skepticism from the party um mm. And it's sort of, in in Russia anyway, it took Lenin to point, I mean, obviously there were other people who were, took great, um, there were other people who were very excited about the advancement that was the generation of the Soviets, particularly in 1905. Obviously Trotsky Mm. was heavily involved with the Soviets, but like within the Bolsheviks, there was a lot of scepticism because they clearly set themselves up as being um, a form of vanguard party. Mm. And, um, and... Legitimately, I think, under the conditions under which they were living in a sort of totalitarian state where sort of um, democratic, democratic freedoms were basically nil mm. um, and with a sort of oppressive state apparatus, apparatus constantly looking to uh, suppress them. Yeah. Um, they clearly decided that they had to fashion themselves into a very sort of like tight-knit and disciplined community party Mm. um which was something that was clearly advocated by lenin Mm. um what's it called democratic centralism as the kind Mm. of like the sort of organizational mantra of these kind of parties um but to lenin's credit as soon as he sort of saw this spontaneous action from the working class in 1905 Mm. um sort of like automatically wanted to move toward being more open and also um I praising I suppose that sort of like spontaneous creation of um, organizations to mm. represent the workers themselves or the soldiers or whomever it was that were the mm. the, uh, the body of people represented by the, the Soviet or the committee kind of thing. Mm. Um, but a lot of this book is that sort of like grappling between um or well, particularly a lot of the history of um uh Russian revolutionary history from 1905 all the way to 17, 1917 and beyond um was a certain amount of grappling with how much py- power do we attribute to the party and how much like autonomy do we give to mm. these other bodies of or sort of representative bodies of the working class yeah um
0: yeah yeah or at least how do you structurally organize your movement so that that is built in while still not just overpowering and derailing your movement right
1: sure yeah i mean this is um i mean yeah i mean i mean in a lot of ways this is you you certainly could sort of like take different aspects of this and apply positions positions within the viable systems model mm. to uh different roles that need to be fulfilled to some extent mm. yeah um,
0: yeah, like, because it, it, it is funny, right? It is, like, I'm sure we've all at least had experience with it, maybe even just, like, seeing these types of movements get derailed or distracted, I feel like, is a better word, because everybody has something that they want to focus on the most in, whether that's in uh, DSA or whether that's in other organizations where it's really easy to expend a lot of energy. I don't want to say too much energy because a lot of these things are things that are necessary that need to get done and need to be focused on. Um, on issues that aren't central to the goal of, like, bringing on socialism, right? So, um, but again, like, I don't mean that as any kind of criticism because, for example, like, some of the movements that have kind of been bought up organically where I'm from have focused very much on regional issues because they have to, right? Because it's like, if you want to get people to listen to you, you have to, like, go where people are and, uh, you know, focus on what their problems are, um... But it's, like, how do you then make your movement one that isn't solely focused on those problems, right? Whether that's, like, uh, pollution in your city or, um, uh, you know, destruction of the environment or something like that. Um, and, again, like, I suppose if you were to map this onto the VSM, there is space for everybody focusing on their own thing and autonomy, Um and you can really feel like you're part of almost like two different organizations. I'm just I'm just kind of like spitballing this, but it's like if you were to focus on, say, like there's a dam where I live and it needs to get removed. Um, it's totally fine for like the a part or a section of that greater movement to focus on that while still being part of this bigger movement mm-hmm. without getting distracted. I suppose maybe. I mean, maybe that's a little utopian, but it's like you would want to build your structures so that that's possible at least if that's possible, I don't know. That's mm-hmm. ideal, I guess. Um and another uh, yeah, I don't know. On that on that kind of same line, uh, I <laughs> I think anyone still calling themselves like an ML perhaps will not uh don't really come off great in this chapter because it's I think that a lot of Miliband's point was also like say what you will about Lennon, say what you will about his organizational work. Um, It worked, but it worked where he was in the time period that he was in. You know, like a lot of the uh, uh, criticism that Rosa Luxemburg made, Lenin kind of responded being like, I mean, like I'm in Russia and it's a lot different here. Like we kind of need to operate as a party like this. Mm -hmm. Um, So I suppose it's like maybe now like seeing people who are still stuck to these ideas that are maybe not outdated. And I don't want to say like totally, completely like not useful because they obviously are, but it's like, you need to understand that these structures need to be a little bit more dynamic than just focusing on where the socialist revolution worked in 1917. You know I mean, I don't know. Call me crazy. Call me crazy, but I think that's like borderline hero worship, just because you know. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, uh, this book does a really good job of putting everything in its context, kind of thing. All mm-hmm. the all various political debates or tactical decisions that are taken. Yeah. Um. I mean, yeah. As you say, like there's there is no reason to. Raise the structure of democratic centralism to being like um, an organizational mantra for yeah. um, your group today. Yeah. When, like, even Lenin said in 1904 or whatever that, mm-hmm. like, um, this is an organizational structure that's intentionally designed for operating in Tsarist Russia yeah. in a more liberal <laughs> and tolerant and democratic uh, political system. Hmm clearly the other, other, other tactics would be better suited. Yeah,
0: yeah. I did like to... Um, he, Miliband brings up the idea of the dictatorship of the proletariat. Um, and there was like a very modern sounding quote in here from Engels where he, it was in one of the footnotes where Engels just basically said something along the lines of you want to see a, you want to see the dictatorship of the proletariat look to the Paris Commune that's the dictatorship of the proletariat and there's something about the way that it was phrased it was like almost Trumpian it was very funny oh. it's like it's the best look at that it's the best <laughs> Um, obviously not the best because it didn't last very long. Um, I also would wonder, I don't know about this and I meant to look this up and do a little bit more research before we started, but I didn't. So whatever, um, about like who the people were who actually were in charge of the Paris Commune, whether they were like organic intellectuals of the working class or if they were kind of like more class traitory people who kind of like came from like maybe petty bourgeois or something like that and saw an opportunity to organize, um, Regardless, though, it was interesting. He gave, like, some examples of why the Paris Commune was a very good version of the um, dictatorship of the proletariat. It was sure. because they really tried to not elevate the people running things to, like, their own class. They're all getting paid as much as, like, you know, everybody else was. And they had, as much as there were terms, they were very short and you could be recalled and blah, 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 blah. Um, although perhaps didn't work quite as well because of how things ended there and the little bit of gridlock. But, yeah, I don't know. The idea of the dictators of the proletariat, I always find, kind of puts people off when they read that, if they're, like, first-time Marxists, you know? Um, and I think it was good that he att- at least attempted to address it a little bit.
1: Sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess the point of that Engels quote is, like, don't hear dictatorship and think... Yeah. Obviously, Engels wasn't referring to Stalin, <laughs> yeah, but, like, yeah, don't exactly. hear, dictatorship like... <laughs> hear, hear dictatorship and think of Stalin. Hear dictatorship and think of one of the most... Um, sort of impressive democratic experiments Mm. of the 19th century and sort of Mm. like first instantiation of um, a independent working class movement, like trying to create a new world for itself Mm. uh, along principles which better suited uh, its existence.
0: Mm. And that Um, still were very much stamped with previous forms of government, like representatives and legislative bodies and stuff like that. Sure, yeah. Yeah, Uh,
1: yeah, I mean, one of the things that seems to be the big takeaway of that is like... um, to move away from a a form of political representation which is alienated from you Mm. and to make it one which is um, which you're in much better contact with and that's achieved by things as you say like paying democratic representatives a workers wage but also like um, having delegates be recallable Mm. um, by sort of like sub-meetings of the masses or what have you mm. um, what well, was quite what I, what I found quite interesting about well one of the things which I took away from that discussion about the Paris Commune that's featured in this uh, somewhere is that I'd always imagined that I'd always I'd, someway, I'd somehow come away with the understanding that Marx's response to the Paris Commune was um, the communards were insufficiently organised and that's why mm. the revolution failed mm. Um but I suppose that must be a later Marxist interpretation of events because mm. it's made very clear in this that like Marx has no interest in um criticizing the the commune from that angle kind of thing. Mm. And is much more interested in using an example for as sort of praising the um the createdness of the working class. Mm. Which Miliband sort of emphasizes is like Marx is in 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 uh weighting the balance between class and party. I might have already said this, like mm. in Marx's mind, class is elevated much higher above party kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um and he takes the Paris Commune as one of his examples of that kind of thing. Yeah. Um and in this book, the, the the Paris Commune is sort of plotted on a graph, well, like pl- plotted on a timeline, which also features like the Soviets of nineteen oh five, the the Soviets of nineteen seventeen, and although they're not mentioned, like the German councils would also sure. uh, feature in this kind of thing. Mm. Um, but yeah. Yeah, 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 but the the but I suppose, I suppose in terms of like um, the dictatorship of the proletariat, and um, in terms of the third section of this chapter, which is sort of largely about um, post-revolutionary negotiations or navigations of this relationship between class and party and sort of like what clearly happened eventually in Russia was the elevation of the class and the total sort of subordination of... No, the the elevation (laughs) of the party or the total subordination of the class Uh. or... or a better way to look at it might be just like a total abolition of even the distinction between party and class. Yeah, um, yeah. Such that the question of like, has the party substituted itself for the class was a question that couldn't really even be asked kind of thing. Mm. Um, but in terms of creating a post-revolutionary state, the question quite often becomes like, how is the party to relate to the Soviets and other sort of like uh, representations of of the working class, mm. like Lenin in the sort of like heady days of nineteen seventeen. I can't remember what word Miliband uses to describe his attitude, but he was clearly Lenin was clearly very um, optimistic mm. about events as they were unfolding, and obviously uh, like uh, wrote State and Revolution, um, large sections of which are well sections of which are about. How the these new institutions of the working class are going to need to substitute themselves for uh, the old state, kind of thing. The new yeah. state that's going to be built is one built upon the foundations of mm. uh, collective mass mass participation in representative bodies, um, i.e., sort of Soviets and councils, kind of thing. Mm. Um, <laughs> clearly, as events developed, um, no such state. Mm materialised mm. and instead we got the sort of like party dictatorship that mm. eventually turned into Stalinism but clearly has its seeds in um Lenin's period of rule in the early twenties and then that sort of mm. like intervening period before Stalin came to full power as well kind of thing. Yeah. Um but it was interesting those sections seemed most historical to me and least like um well, they, they, they seem they sort of seem to be posing historic theoretical questions, whereas, mm. and less sort of like organisational, mm. theoretic historical questions. Kind yeah, of thing. yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I wonder. I don't really know what takeaways we can have from this book, which are actually about organisation in the present day. I suppose.
0: Hmm. Well, you just look at what doesn't work. <laughs> it's yeah, a yeah, lot yeah, of the is, book, which is everything. <laughs> yeah, <as well. laughs> yeah, everything up to now. <laughs> don't do any of these things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly um yeah i mean the next chapter which we haven't read yet uh reform and revolution should be should be very interesting i mean it presumably is going to get a bit more into like the spontaneity question, stuff like that um but i mean Mm -hmm. i don't know in terms in terms of like questions about the class and the party it's it's funny because like i said at the beginning he does right away just come off as like so we need a party how do we organize the party right um which, yeah, I mean, obviously, like, if you're going to use politics, it's, like, a way to get us out of politics. Um, it seems like a necessity. Um, but, I mean, in terms of takeaways, it, a yeah, lot I, of it is what hasn't worked. Yeah,
1: you know? yeah. I mean, there is a section when he's discussing the idea of, like... Well, I, th- I think it'd be good to reiterate. I think I've already mentioned it. But, like, the idea that... Maybe I haven't said it yet. Mm. In 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 the in the early stages of the the debate in the 19th in the beginning of the 19th of the beginning of the 20th century between um, Lenin and rosen Luxemburg and Trotsky and the social democrats kind of thing there were a great variety of positions but one of the one of the things that they all assumed was it was entirely possible for um, party and class to come to come together into some kind of like perfect union. Yeah. Thing. Like they all had different ideas of what the correct weighting of significance was between class and party. Um but but clearly they both that but Miliband suggests that they basically everybody thought that such a union was possible. Mm. Um something which he suggests is basically like mythic. It's yes. just like he he seems to imply that such a sort of like perfect synthesis is not Mm. achievable kind of thing um which kind of i think lends itself to stuff that we've encountered when we've done other readings either from this book or from other things as well like um the idea that like the perfect scenario can be crafted Mm. um rather than seeing history as like sort of like a thing that's very dynamic and constantly in flux and there Mm. are all these different sort of eddies and centers of power and uh, events which sort of generally need to be navigated kind of thing Mm. and it's kind of like how do you how do you adapt yourself to any given situation Mm. rather than um, how do you uh, create the fictitious best scenario and work out how to aim toward that kind of thing. Yeah. Um.
0: I mean, I, th- I think one thing that, gets, that slips through the cracks a lot when you're discussing transitioning into a new mode, right, is that what will come after capitalism is inevitably going to be socialism, which seems like a bit of a fallacy to me. It seems like that's not really thinking critically or analytically really at all. So, I mean, I guess as a takeaway from this, it's like if you don't want that transition to either be something worse or just a different version of what we're dealing with now... A certain organization is absolutely vital, right? Sure. Yeah. But I mean, I think to take that question and morph it into like, okay, so how much of a vanguard party do we need is entirely off the mark. I think that the question then needs to become, how dynamic does our organ- do our organizations need to be? Because it is fundamentally an organizational question. It's like, how do we build structures that will be able to adapt to whatever happens, whatever we have to deal with, all while driving steadily towards this goal of socialism, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I I don't know. I don't know what else to say other than that. that It's all a question of organization, but not to take it as a, like, we need to guide the working class with like an iron fist or even like a, you know, you need to teach the working class. Sure. Um, so I suppose there's a little bit of this quote unquote like spontaneity in there, but more so just like building organizations that work and that aren't doomed to fail.
1: (laughs) I mean, there was, I mean, I'm I'm almost, I'm almost, um, to incline to position myself like at a different part of the spectrum in that mm. relationship. Mm. Um I, w- I don't want to like fully endorse like <laughs> vanguard partyism mm. kind of thing. Mm. Um but <laughs> it's it's it, it, it kind of feels like it's probably quite important even if you're a minority to like um craft a sort of avowedly I mean I suppose I mean you wouldn't disagree with this right. The problem is like fully imagining that I'm going to go and teach these sort of, like, stupid (laughs) proletarians who don't know any better exactly what's good, I'm going to show them what's good for them, kind of thing. Um, Obviously, that tone... (laughs) Is bad. (laughs) Yeah, not helpful, but also, like, um, if that's your attitude, then um, how committed really are you to the idea that the working class is capable of... It is a revolutionary force which is capable of refounding the world, kind of thing. Question your motives, yeah. Perhaps. <laughs> um, at the same time, I mean, there are parts in this where, um, he leans more toward the kind of like strongly organizational end of the spectrum, or at sure. least, like, I mean, I mean, this, this entire book, he never really comes down in any position, he just sort of gives various <laughs> arguments as to why various parts of mm. different arguments have different merit kind of thing. Mm, um, mm. But he does seem to suggest, I, I mean, after querying whether the idea that like there can be a perfect synthesis between party and class is possible, and he suggests it's kind of mythic, mm. um, he does take up this idea of substitutism um, whereby the party substitutes itself for the class to some extent, and does wonder whether so, some amount of substitutism isn't essential. Mm, sure. Um, it's not something to be entirely pulled back from to some extent and then there's a discussion I mean you just said something quite interesting about um well you were saying that the next chapter is about reformer revolution and I was thinking a little bit whilst I was reading the sections on the 1917 revolution I was Mm. sort of beginning to just query like query revolution in general and to some extent it's quite useful right that like um it's quite helpful for us that we perhaps live in a different age kind of thing or at least we don't live under a dictatorial regime kind of thing mm. or if we we go back to things we've read previously i think sections of the, uh, earlier sections of this book where miliband references marx as saying like revolution is searchable for some countries that still live under dictatorships but plausibly there are other roots in mm. more democratic regimes kind of thing um this is something for a future question. Like, do we live mm. in a sufficiently democratic regime? What should our relationship sure. be to revolution? Mm. Um, but reading the sections on 1917 in this really made me query um, revolution as a strategy. Mm. Um, particularly because the Bolsheviks were clearly, clearly had to operate um, as a minority. And it's something that... This is another thing which Miliband said that was really making me... Th- uh, that sort of hinted toward him um validating sort of like I suppose hard vanguardist or minor ter- minoritarian politics he sort of suggests that, like revolutions are always made by minorities kind Yeah, of thing yeah. um which really put a big question mark in my mind was like hmm. the i guess in 1917 the 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 bolsheviks could uh, draw on um a kind of like rhetorical or imagined sense of mass support that came from their relationship to the revolution kind of thing mm. um, and if they had have been able to institute um, Soviet democracy as imagined by Lenin mm. um, then maybe that would have been a movement toward like a regime that had uh, mass support and authority mm. um, but, but as it turned out I mean obviously they like like uh, History intervened in particularly brutal ways sure um and i don't intend to pass any judgment on the Bolsheviks at this time mm. <laughs> um, table that <up. laughs> <laughs> um but yeah it it, it does it it, do, it has raised a big question for me in terms of like mass and democratic um legitimacy and how you how you or whether one wants to one must. Whether a revolutionary movement or even a movement which, I mean, I suppose if it's not um, a mass democratic, then it's going to have to be a, a revolutionary social change. I suppose mm. any any movement which seeks to, to seeks at least a revolutionary transformation of social relations, which is what we are interested in. Mm. Um, what kind of relationship to mass and democratic support? Uh, do we need to take kind of thing and yeah. that implies like what kind of relationship does a party need to have toward the sort of bourgeois democratic institutions of the state in which it lives mm. um, uh, or as we've seen in this 1917 like do you want to sideline democratic representative bodies in favour of um, a sort of like nascent and new and novel like collective representation of the working class that was the Soviet system kind of thing
0: yeah um, Absolutely.
1: Also big questions.
0: A lot of big questions. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, you bring up substitutism. I mean, it's funny. Like, let's just say, for argument's sake, that, like, you could, in theory, map the VSM, as we understand it, onto, like, a political party, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's still going to be an element of that with systems four and five, right, with the meta system, obviously, because you would need to be. Yeah. I mean, it's like the question, as Milban puts it right at the beginning, where he's like, the question isn't spontaneity or uh, organization. He's like, that's not the question at all. Um, it's the same thing. It's like to get something done, you still do need uh, you know, the smaller the better honestly, like a group of people who can just make it happen and it will just decide cut out the, the chit chat and the banner and the debate and just go, this needs to happen for the betterment of everything. Mm-hmm. And obviously it's you know, this is obvious, but it's like the point, you know, where do you draw the line there? How do you make that not dictatorial? How do you make it that whatever that body is, how do you make the meta system that's looking for the future um responsible to the uh class as a whole to the movement of a whole uh, as you say big questions mm
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah i one of the things that i uh, one of the things that I'm quite interested in when it comes to like the idea of forming a movement or a party is the idea of like um revolutionary intent or revolutionary mm desire to some extent i could imagine one wanting to build a system which has an explicit commitment to um to systems serving to allow an entity to advance a purely uh revolutionary strategy sure where you would attribute to a system four the kind of like the identity of the system as a whole an explicitly mm. revolutionary motivation kind of thing mm. um
0: in defining what that means.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. This, this book has certainly, certainly made me question certain things. Like, um, I've been thinking about the kind of like the idea of a mass party. So, like mm. in this book, it's kind of described as um, modeled on the German Social Democrats, right? But one which was um, very large, but very broad based um, and encompassing lots of like social forces um, and it, to some extent, even like various different classes kind of thing mm. um and i'd sort of imagined that um it sort of interpreted or warped in my mind the idea of like a mass party being one which was um a uh representative of the working class which included large members of the working class a mass of the working class who <laughs> Her, who, But the, whose identity to the party also represented their, their commitment and identity to the class to some extent. Sure. But there was also this question of like, how broad based do you make your movement? Mm. And in what ways does that then compromise um, mm. your ultimate aims? Yeah.
0: I mean, you bring up a point that even you're going to have to get into defining who can be a part of your movement and who shouldn't be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which gets into defining class, which we're not getting into yeah. right now. <laughs> um,
1: yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, mass party or
0: the Exactly. Or the vanguard. Yeah. As long as it's not a sect. Yeah. <laughs> as long as we're not in a sect, I think we're doing all that. Or a cult not long as it's not a cult long as it's not a sect a lot of people probably would say that we're in a cult (laughs) 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 Um, how do you you think a vanguard party would even work these days like before someone says like Trumpism and how Trump was able to like alter the Democratic or the the, uh, well the Republican Party how would that even work
1: I mean perhaps we don't have or I don't have a good enough um, Mm. understanding of vanguardism to Mm. sort of like answer that question fully Yeah, I mean, Um, I guess. I mean, clearly, there are like uh, vanguard, intentionally vanguardist uh, revolutionary parties Mm. of like very small numbers of people operating in this country. Mm. Um, Built up of MI6. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Who you'd be much more inclined to call the sect than anything else. Yeah. Um, So, I suppose if vanguard means that, then it's to be avoided <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, i mean I suppose... uh, but uh, but look, but but i suppose um from a kind of messaging standpoint i suppose it is an interesting question right mm. like how, how do you do you reach out to people yeah and how much do you moderate your ultimate aspiration to begin to um sway them yeah yeah like obviously it's virtuous. I, yeah, I think it would be virtuous simply to be incredibly explicit, mm. but you risk alienation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but maybe, may, but maybe you do just commit yourself to alienating a huge number of people and <laughs> and but but contacting a small number kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess the ultimate question would be like where you. Um, where you actually direct your activities right and something that's been troubling me quite a lot is that Mm. i can't i find it quite difficult to imagine myself Mm. like doing good organizational work (laughs) with like normal people (laughs) yeah 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 um so i mean i guess that's the thing that we're all supposed to be doing right like going out and actually yeah praxis uh, actually talking to working-class people and but rather like trying to trying to um build Mm. people's sense of class power independent of your organization i suppose that would Mm. be good vanguardism right Mm. that would be how how can i go about like empowering people uh, that was was about to knock on the door sorry (laughs) (laughs) continue um yeah, I think that would be like virtuous vanguardism. How do you go about empowering people in a way which you can step away from and cede to them mm. or allow them to take ownership of um, a, um, a type of conscious organisation which you have fostered but not don't seek to mm. control?
0: sure i mean it's also like how do you define vanguardism because if on one end of the spectrum it's just blankeyism just being like no just us everybody else out we're gonna do this for you god damn it there's
1: a a quote (laughs) which isn't leninism yeah yeah there's a little bit early on when miliband's talking about um uh talking about marx's position on these things on the the idea of a party and one of his stipulations was um as i keep saying the party ought to be a sect right Mm um and he, he quotes um short quotation where he uses he uses the phrase alchemists of the revolution kind of thing oh, that's cool which i would i, I assume that. i'm not sure i've not read the footnote i assume he's <laughs> likely referring to sort of like blankey <laughs> blankey inspired yeah. groups operating yeah, yeah, yeah. in france kind of thing yeah um, the sect would be would be a formation which has fully isolated itself from the working mm. class yeah um and that was something that Marx was
0: severely against kind of thing. What a like adventurous time when that was like remotely a possibility. Yeah. Just getting the boys together and having a revolution. <laughs> I always get August Blanchi and Louis Blanc confused. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, Louis I don't Blanc, know. one of a king, absolute king. Okay. One of our short short kings. Mm. We need more short kings. Um very enlightening chapter as i said before banger of a banger of a chapter miliband well done um and it's funny because like the charm of miliband is like uh <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah, like yeah, everybody exactly. else is wrong i mean yeah, i guess yeah, yeah. this is a book that's supposed to give you the ammunition to be able to sit in on a marxist debate and mm. have an opinion about Mao.
1: <laughs> i suppose so yeah 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 Yeah, it was funny though that's what i was referring to when i was saying earlier that it'd just be easier to be a Stalinist. Kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, at least you would have some questions, some answers to some extent. Yeah. You can have a degree of faith, even if it was like yeah. faith verging on like religious <laughs> doctrine kind of thing. Exactly. Um, yeah, I was trying to express something before, which mm. were, b- before we started recording, mm-hmm. um, which is a sort of a reflection on this book and the time at which it was written, and sort of like it almost feels like Miliband is. I mean, obviously, Miliband would be still. More tied to and affected by um what's comes to be referred to as like really existing socialism kind of yeah, like yeah. The, the existent uh socialist states that were still in the world in nineteen seventy seven um from our like greater perspective a greater perspective that comes purely with occupying a different historical time. Not age of not, wisdom? Not, 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 <laughs> not because we have any greater wisdom. <laughs> um, our superior perspective <laughs> um, allows us to pass this book even more and pass history even mm. more and approach it, approach it more as a kind of like uh, sort of like feeding frenzy of yeah. like, <laughs> picking and choosing as yeah. opposed to something that we're sort of like burdened to carry.
0: Yeah, it's funny, isn't it though? He does have a very... Um, Almost like modern perspective on a lot of this stuff, despite being in the weeds of like seventies when Maoism and stuff was going on, when the Soviet Union stuff was going on. These are opinions that you'll find a lot of you know kind of level-headed people. Yeah, I mean it's good. I mean
1: we've we've discussed this before. Like the aspect of Miliband's biography, which is that he was never Mm -hmm. part of any of these groups or never really had a huge amount of truck with like, um, I guess I don't know, like yeah, the Third Mm -hmm. International. Yeah, yeah, that sort of that series of revolutionary movements that sort of revolutionary communist parties that fashion themselves in the vein of um, the Soviet communist party. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So he he's interesting as somebody who like lived in this period, but has a very, as you say, like Mm. it feels like he has this different perspective. And I think that perspective comes from like being removed somewhat from these organizational structures and sort of various mantras if not removed from that historical time period itself
0: yeah whenever whenever maoism gets bought up you know you're in for a good time (laughs) that's he reserves a lot of his ire for that um yeah good stuff good 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 stuff sad to think that we'll only have one more chapter after this yeah really sad i was surprised to to see that he died in the 90s i don't know why i just kind of thought that like I don't know, I just kind of saw his opinions as beginning or not beginning but ending kind of in the seventies and it's like, oh, I'd like to know. I was sure, just saying this too. Yeah, year, I'd like what, to know yeah more how
1: he it. developed post yeah, I'm not sure yeah. which of his books were written before this. Hmm. this is the late the latter one of his like more well known books, I think. Yeah. I think Parliamentary social was written well before this and the class the state in capitalist society is another of his books which was published.
0: When did his kids first start getting into one. um politics? <laughs> I like the thought of like no, one of them being politics, and they the like a grumpy in the 90s, That's
1: probably what happens.
0: I guess yeah, yeah. that might have been what happened. That's pretty funny. Mm. <laughs> um, cool, good stuff. good stuff. Love it. Um, I finished Dan for the listener. Uh, gave me some little uh, chaos beastmen, and i finished painting them, basically. Um, I'm going to do a little kind of like tiny little things to them now and then, but it's very exciting. Nice. nice Thank you, Dan. That's very cool. Mm-hmm. Have you um, started any of your other uh, ba- I've, resin ones? I the... primed them. Okay. Um, okay. I'm a little still like, oh my God, I'm going to ruin these. <laughs> um, specifically our chaos boy. Um, but, yeah, I got a Brace Shaman to paint up, and I got a, uh, what's his name? An aspiring Deathbringer. Not a Deathbringer, an yeah, yeah, aspiring yeah. Deathbringer. Which is funny, because he's literally standing on, like, 50 skulls, and it's like, oh, he's aspiring. Yeah, <laughs> He's, he's going to get there.
1: Yeah, I mean, he has a corn boy. How much death how much deathless you have to bring before like, you a get, to, get to graduate to um, competent Deathbringer? Exactly. Before, like...
0: <laughs> the thing with the Games Workshop skulls that I never really got is it's like, he's standing on these skulls which implies that he killed all of these people, but it's also like how these people have been dead a long time. So maybe yeah, he didn't. Yeah, I don't yeah,
1: know. Yeah. Also, like skulls, quite fragile, though. No? Yeah, no kidding.
0: Yeah, <laughs>
1: well, maybe not. I mean, like, like, well, I more
0: fragile than like the fifty yeah, this, kilo this guy's steel axe. He's wearing a lot of carrying. armor. He's wearing a lot of armor. <laughs> he's got a very big axe. Yeah, yeah. He's surprise, to, surprise. the way
1: to go. But um, like, it makes sense for the uh, the, corn, is that it? the corn types. Sure, the corn yeah, they've types. They've got they they, they uh, they keep, keep their skulls close yeah exactly
0: <laughs> exactly um i've always loved the total war games and a new one just got announced and it looks dope and um, they're bringing Do you have like you played any of the
1: warhammer total war
0: yeah i've played them both oh, right, they okay. rock they're really really great um
1: i haven't played total war
0: since like rome a long long time.
1: Long long time.
0: rome rocks
1: i had a few of the, yeah, yeah yeah ever. i think a, yeah a little while ago i bought. Now that I have a laptop again, I should mm. download Steam again, mm. try and find my password because I'm pretty sure I have um maybe Medieval
0: 2 Total War. So good, dude. Is i'm more the only partial... game I've ever bought on Steam. <laughs> more Partial to Rome. They'll okay. run great on your computer okay. too. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um yeah, so good. Yeah. But yeah, they're uh for the new one they're bringing in is like the like baddies they're bringing in factions which are just the four chaos gods and the that looks so cool dude <laughs> i'm never gonna buy it at least for like 10 years because it's gonna be like 60 bucks but like so good it looks looks very very good always been partial to corn myself <laughs> a corn boy um call me crazy um yeah <laughs>
1: i'm not ready to declare my very which allegiance <laughs> we like all know strongly we all know okay we know folks we know folks you just yeah you guess Yes, yes. Let me know in the comments. Let me know in the comments which of the Chaos Gods ought (laughs) I ally myself with.
0: Watch everyone say Slanash and then I'm going to perhaps have to distance myself. (laughs) I'm just going to, like,
1: yeah, (laughs) cut the butt off all my trousers.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I will say um, the official Chaos God of uh, Communism is Zinch for obvious reasons, uh I think. uh For obvious reasons. The God of Social (laughs) Change. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And Tentacles. And tentacle... Wait a minute, tentacles? <laughs> didn't sign up for tentacles. Um, I don't know. Any, not my revolution is there aren't
1: sufficiently many multicolored <laughs> tentacles.
0: Are, there, are tentacles a Zeech thing? No, it's like bird wings. and Yeah, wings and, and... Yeah, get that out of here. I don't know. Well, I don't know. Maybe. The,
1: the horrors are kind of like... True.
0: Make a good point. got quite a lot of tentacles going on. I'm not a tentacle yeah, guy myself. Yeah. Um, yeah,
1: yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, Zeech is not committed to tentacles, but they are... <laughs> They are in, I mean, I was about to gender the Chaos Gods. Maybe they're like, their, they, they, tentacles are in their repertoire. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Along with like beaks and wings. and All the good stuff.
0: All the good, all all the good, stuff. All the good stuff. All the good stuff. Beaks. Very cool. Um, any, any uh, Star Trek episode recommendations of the week, Dan? Mm. Cue the theme song. Star Trek recommendation of the week. <laughs>
1: I did watch two Next Generation episodes. I watched both. I watched um, Unifications, part one and two, which Those. are the ones that are about um, Spock attempting to mm. reunite the Romulans and the Vulcans sure. into one. classic. One, into one. Mm. Um, partially inspired because um, there is an episode of, in, in the new series of Discovery, which is Unification, part three. What?
0: Um,
1: Didn't know that. And then that's led me to just start watching Discovery again. No, season three, at least, I'm cool. re-watching season three of Discovery, mm. um, finding that there are a lot of episodes that I'm finding a lot are quite boring the second time through. Mm. Mm.
0: Yeah, I've never watched Discovery. Uh-huh. Need too. Uh-huh.
1: But that's that. Yeah, that's the extent of my um, recent Star Trekking. Mm. Have I been what, what have I been watching? What have I been watching? I, I've been watching. I have one I episode have of the most recent episode season of the Expanse to watch. Oh. so I'm sort of saving that Oh, have you haven't watched any of The Expanse? I not, not,
0: uh, yeah. keep seeing it, seems good okay. I keep telling myself that I'm watching all The Simpsons all the way through, I'm, I've been doing this for several weeks and I'm only on episode 7 So I just don't have the attention oh, span okay. <laughs> I need to, but it's just like that I'm, I'm,
1: <laughs> I'm engaged in the gargantuan effort of watching <laughs> exactly. all of The Simpsons <laughs> exactly. so far
0: I'm up to episode 7 <laughs> Yeah, exactly, yeah, it'll take a while folks Season one, yeah. man, obviously has its problems, but it's just so good. I watched an episode where it's, I think it's called like Simpsons Call of the Wild or something like that. It's like the sixth or something episode where um, I really got the feeling that that was the first kind of like Simpsons, Simpsons episode. Because a lot of the humor was very reminiscent of the Simpsons. It was written by John uh, Swartzwelder, classic. Um, and they go to like an RV Thing, homer wants to buy an rv and it's just it's it was the first time that i like, laughed out loud in the first season it was very very funny um john Swart- swartzwelder awesome friend of the pod why not um um yeah no, that's we should it. get some enemies we should get some en- Well, i feel like we have a lot of enemies uh-huh. of the pond pond <laughs> pod enemies of the pod joe biden i don't know <laughs> um mm-hmm. It would be nice
1: if he would take an interest. Yeah,
0: respond to my DMs, Jesus. (laughs) Um. Uh Can't be that busy. (laughs) Yeah, he can't be. Did you see that they were like, um, he's been playing Mario Kart with his granddaughter at Camp David, and he picked (laughs) Luigi. It's like, just go buy a gun (laughs) and shoot me in the face.
1: (laughs) I wonder, I wonder, like, how many PR consultants? I know. How many, like... (laughs) How many um?
0: How many six-figure salaries? Yeah, they take to come up with that like, recommendation. Yeah. He plays Luigi. Of course, he plays Luigi. The freak. <laughs> oh god, who do you play as?
1: I can't play Mario. I Really? Yeah, oh, Dan, start Please. It. I'm to start to... I'm <laughs> I'm not willing to put in the effort to get good. Sure. And um. Well, no one's good. I I, I why well, I, yeah. Joe Biden. I I right. have a um. What do they do? Well, I was about to say, I mean, I, I, I have a um, uh, an objection to anything that I'm not immediately good at. <laughs>
0: all right, fair enough. Or As at least, we all like, com-
1: like, competent, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, I didn't really want to say that because, like, <laughs> I'm engaged in an activity that I may or may not be good at and don't really want to incur the judgment <laughs> of people. So this present activity was standing
0: Ah. Uh-huh. Oh, so good.
1: All other activities. Yeah. Things that are like loosely sports related. Sure. Or, um, I guess video games, an extension of sports. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm not good at it, then I just don't I don't try.
0: You know what I, in a utopian world, would like to do utopian post-COVID world? Start a softball league. That's like a dream. I'd love uh-huh. to do that. I think that'd be so uh-huh. much fun.
1: I'll play. Yeah, let's do it. I'm a bit terrified of softball. We used to play softball... Um, secondary school like PE mm. classes mm. and um, it's a big ball and big it's ball. A, a, and a metal bat we used to have <laughs> yeah and the metal bat, would you'd hit it and the metal bat would like reverberate yeah. oh, yeah, your that hand sucks. Yeah. And the, like the possibility of like the ball like maybe it just wasn't hands. good but hitting your hand mm. or like, because it's such a big ball mm. the possibility of you clipping it on the bottom and it ricocheting up into your face <laughs> is so large, like i i mean i'd rather play yeah i mean like mm. i'd rather play regular scaled baseball mm. except for the fact that i couldn't hit a competent pitch <laughs> this is the problem like yeah. I, can, I can hit a baseball throwing under <laughs> yeah, like, yeah exactly um yeah 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 baseball easier than rounders i think in terms of like still, hitting the ball still don't know the what rounders is you've yeah, explained it to me I still don't it's know that, it's, basically baseball, but, uh-huh. like, it's basically just baseball but like it's a smaller bat and you hold it smaller in one hand bat. in yeah, one hand like, that, like that and then, oh my god you know. how
0: big's the ball uh yeah same size. oh my god that scares me i was thinking about this today actually because i played you you can't really
1: like hitting a baseball with like (laughs) when you connect like it's quite satisfying like sure thunk
0: thunk um let's think about this today i played baseball until i was like 13 or something and it was funny because it's like baseball is always my favorite sport but then like man once people start throwing competently and like above 50 60 miles an hour i was just Forget this! This, fun. this sucks. This is horrible. Um, Particularly,
1: like when the whole the whole game is don't flinch. Yeah, exactly. Literally, like, don't be scared. Don't be scared. Don't, don't act unless you intend to act. Yeah, like, exactly.
0: Especially when like, you're not allowed to cry. Make, That's, yeah. Is <laughs> <laughs> there sort of a stipulation against crying? Well, there's a social stigma. Okay.
1: Um. Uh. That's where I've been going wrong.
0: Mm. That brings us around nicely to where we began, to our summoning circle of getting Cleveland to name their rename their team the Spiders. Um, uh-huh. Very, finally, they chose to not name their team sure, that. Yeah. It was just, just like, you guys, come on. What are they, um, call, what are they called? Cleveland football They the, the thing that's oh. funny is that they literally don't have a name. And Surely pitchers yeah. and catchers are yeah, reported
1: today. This, like, it's cur- I find it curious, this... um. Uh, sense that american sports teams have <laughs> that if they're going to change their name they have to get rid of the old one and then like wait yeah. a little while and then, then announce the a new one yeah, a little I don't while get like... It.
0: that's like a new thing i don't They trying not to ruffle
1: too many feathers i suppose but
0: like i think maybe they're trying to ruffle feathers i think it's like a thing where they're like dragging their feet to like uh, sulk I see. It's like, you're okay. gonna make me change my name i'm gonna okay. do it in the worst way possible okay. kind of thing
1: i assumed it was more like we don't want to disgruntle <laughs> all of our racist mm. fans yeah <laughs> um <laughs> but that does make more sense, like... Yeah. They're having a strop.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. So we'll see. We'll see what Washington's, the F- Washington football team becomes, and mm-hmm. we'll see what Cleveland becomes. Cleveland really for, it. I heard the Cleveland Rocks. This is kind of dumb, because there's already the Rockies, but the Cleveland Rocks is kind of cool, because there's the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh-huh. They can mainly have something like that, maybe. I'm still a Spiders guy. Uh-huh. All in on the Spiders.
1: I don't know anything about Cleveland
0: not many people do okay <laughs> it's in ohio yep there you go okay i know that it's probably very cold right now very uh-huh. very cold
1: uh-huh. mm-hmm. i hope all of our complaining about the cold hasn't been too offensive to <laughs> yeah, our yeah. listenership. it
0: was below zero well below zero celsius for a while yeah and then now it's you know
1: <laughs> warm and wet
0: yeah warm and wet. exactly you can complain about the weather no matter where you are so, so i stand yeah yeah <laughs> And I do. Albeit be it from us yeah. to take it
1: away from yeah. anyone. Tune into our, to our summer episodes.
0: We <laughs> were like, it's too hot.
1: Never, never, never. I love the warm weather. Yeah, it's pretty good. I like. I like hot.
0: Mm-mm.
1: Like as long as it's like, if it gets above thirty, then it's it's pushing it a bit.
0: But sure, like, yeah. Apart from that, yeah. It's all right. Yeah, it'll be fine. Alright, well, I don't know. Anything else? <laughs> um, I think we've probably
1: successfully recorded an episode.
0: I think so. Read yeah. your milliband, folks. This book, as we say every time, is great. And next time <laughs> we'll be our last one. Eat your milliband, <laughs> a balanced milliband breakfast. There's a baseball reference for you. Um all right, well this has been auxiliary statements. Um I've been very happy to be your co host. My name has been Jeff. Um, <laughs> I'm getting- very delighted to be talking with Jack. Yes. Well done. Woo! Um, well, we'll see you next time, I suppose. Yes.